Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose life goal is to play a person 30 years older than him. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I've done that at different points in my life. I mean, you and I definitely did in high school. So let's be very clear. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, no, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's appropriate. I don't know if we've ever... I feel like we have mentioned this on the podcast before, but for some reason... Uh, during high school, when Pat and I would hang out, we'd yell at each other like we're like we're an ancient married couple. Just, yeah, uh, just really and, like and, let each other have it about like like yeah. getting ready to go and really, like why are, like we don't need any really yeah we don't need any candy or something. It's just very like silly. Get in the car. Yeah, we just yell about the car. Stop rushing me! Why are you going to get in the car? Uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't know why we ever started doing that. I don't know. Stopped. I have no idea. I assume we were compensating for something. <laughs> we just wanted people to look at us. Pretty much. I that is accurate. Yeah. Uh, Pat, we have a we have a friend joining us. Uh, Jason Westhaver. Jason, have you ever have you ever been on the on the main podcast? Have you ever uh, been yeah, an old for, couple? Yeah, uh, Express. Yes, you are on for Chunking Express. And I, I would also like to just point out, what you have described is really just proof that your pair bonding started at a young age. And <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it absolutely been, did. You've been old friends. stuck together. You, you've you got yeah. that old Adam and I, I think, early. actively tried to avoid it yeah. for a few years uh, <laughs> when we first met each other and then just sort of gave up. I just choose to interpret this as you came together at a young age. Pat tried to break things off by fleeing to Japan and marrying a he lovely did. woman he there. Did. And yet here you are still bound together until the oh, end yeah. of time through the Sisyphean project. I assume that that at, when I die, Adam will uh, pull a Hachiko and like come and like lay down on my grave and die there. I, I can only assume. <laughs> You'll just like waste away on top of my gravesite. It'll be great. That's, I'm fine with that. Hopefully I can make it to Japan before that, but even if that's my first trip, I guess. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon real quick. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus episodes. That 56, I think it's 56, I'm pretty sure it's 56, 56 bonus episodes, non-Criterion films. Supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch uh, based on a list I put together every month, themed list, four themed items in the list, and number five is always Kazam. The children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. The Universal still film. plays basketball. Matches every the universe, possible. The Ur film. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. The film from which all other films are derivative. Uh, yeah. But that's all for a dollar. Like I say, get access to the back catalog. Uh, for a little above that, five dollars uh, for folks who can afford it and want to help us go a little more. 
Um, we also like to thank those people on air. Thank you, Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer, our current $5 supporters. A little above that, we do something pretty special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, uh, once a month, and I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note, and mail that off. So if you like bespoke art, if you like getting things in the mail, and who doesn't, really, uh, and sign up for that $10 and above mark. We'd also like to thank those people on air. Thank you so much to Nina Bajnak, to Patrick Yaku, Tracy McGrath, Adam Speakerman, and, hey, Jason Westhaver. Thanks, Jason. Yes, thank hey, you, you could do better. Ah. <laughs> you could do better than me. <laughs> well, we've, we've got a lot of other people uh, who, who combined, at least, do better, for, just out of sheer quantity. I don't want to discourage you, but uh, <laughs> there are more of them um, than, than the one of you. Adam has discovered uh, math. Math is hard. Uh, anyway. Especially if, when you're taught you, by a tree uh, farmer, frankly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Our, what? Algebra. What or no, it? geometry. He was geometry it was, and algebra. He was geometry. Our ge- he was yes, both. geometry and algebra. Uh, Pat and I's high school geometry and algebra teacher uh, was a guy named Dr. Leifer. He had his doctorate. I don't know, even know what his doctorate was in, honestly. I, I, uh, I but assume he had tree his doctorate, farming. So he insisted on being called doctor, which is great. But he was also, his retirement plan was a tree farm. Uh, so he spent the majority of his time talking about being a tree farmer. We, we did at least twenty minutes of tree farm every class. Every every class. These are only fifty minute classes. He only taught us for like twenty minutes. How Actual did he end math. up in math and not like botany of some kind? I he have, just I did this no as his retirement plan. He like cooked it up. He was like, I like imagine an NFT guy, but likes nature. Yeah, but for trees. He like yeah. had a scam, really and he's like, I found the perfect scam. I know how I'm yeah. going to retire in the lap of luxury. I built a tree farm. It was, and yeah, he would go out there scheme. like every day to like take care of it. Like he would tell us these stories about like things he discovered in his tree farm and how the trees are doing 20, 30 minutes a day, like every See, class. Yeah. It was amazing. The problem, yeah. the problem is he was actually ahead of his time because if that had been 10 years later, he could have ran a carbon credit scam off of that. And oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that's I'm true. sure. I'm sure he's. I bet he's doing that. it now. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming yeah. he didn't cut them all down. I don't know if it was. He never really explained. The funny thing is, twenty to thirty minutes a day. I don't know what kind of trees they were. I think they were just pine trees. <laughs> Me either. He I never think, actually like really elaborated. No that sort of stuff. I also never told us I, where they were because I think he was worried we would go cut them down. If I'm being yeah, totally honest, absence of details. I, I'd be worried were. about students knowing where my tree farm. Oh, I mean, yeah, so would I. Absolutely. I'm like, a, I don't. I don't tell my students exactly where I live. For, for a reason, you right, know? right. All right, all right. Before we get too far, uh, back to the ten dollar mark. Uh, if you want to see those postcards or want to purchase those postcards without committing to the ten dollar mark, you won't get my thank you note. Or you, you just want more the of them. Maybe you need to invite people to a wedding. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Or a funeral, uh, which is <laughs> both appropriate. For both the movie we're watching could yeah. be both. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost and Criterion there. You can see all the postcards on a little bit of a delay. I don't uh, I don't upload the new ones immediately just so our supporters can have a chance to see them uh, first. Bask in their glory. But you can buy the old ones. You can buy them as postcards, as greeting cards if you need uh, a little extra space for that wedding invitation. Uh, or uh, uh, stickers, some of them as pins. Uh, none of them so far as shower curtains. And I'm sorry for that, but we're working on it. 
we're not really working on it. No one wants that shower curtain from Redbubble. Uh, why do they even have that as an option? I, I really, I mean, it should be the only thing we sell. If I'm being honest, like, what are the most ridiculous <laughs> things? Is it bath towels, shower curtains? I don't maybe think like they have entry towels. mats. They for, have, I don't know. Do they have like doormats? They have like analog doormats? clocks. They have Ooh, analog clocks. Analog clock. Mm, I like it. Yeah, that could be something. Uh, I could I could craft anyway. one that's specifically one one month you will get one that is just meant to be an analog clock. Yeah, maybe it's got a mustache, uh, you know. And <laughs> there you go. See, I, I I feel what you should do is in, instead of sending the ones that are purchased on Redbubble just out blank, put you know you're on the Patreon, you get a nice reassuring letter from Adam. You buy them after the fact, you get a nice passive aggressive message from Adam. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I uh, I am sometimes concerned that the nice the nice greeting letters do come off of passive aggressive sometimes, uh, but but hopefully not. Uh, I'm just mindful that uh, as I think about my grandparents and watching this movie, I've got passive aggressive in my blood. Uh, and uh, I mean, we're from to, the Midwest. Hard to turn so off sometimes. Kind of, we're from the Midwest. It's built in. It's true. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you so much to all of our supporters. Uh, at every level. Uh, very grateful for everybody. Uh, really helpful. And thank you for listening. Uh, yeah. We appreciate it. We've switched it. over. We've at this point completely switched over from our former uh, uh, Squarespace website to Podbean is hosting us now. And we did that for a couple different reasons. But one was to kind of just make sure the analytics were were more true to life. Yeah. Uh, uh- and yeah. and I am excited to report that the Squarespace analytics were not that far off. So, That's good to know. The Squarespace yeah, analytics sure. seemed like they were lying to us most of the time. Yes, yes, um, they they were a little a little bumped. But okay, not that too makes bad. sense. Yeah. Now the funny thing is because of however Podbean does stuff, I now get messages about tr- like I what I assume are kind of scams for podcasters all the time. Yeah, like nonstop. All the time. Yeah, uh, and it's weird because the yeah the Podbean account is under my name, but I don't Pat's know why I get still attached to yeah. your your name is attached to the uh, iTunes listing for Lost. Ah, uh, that's why. That's reason. why. Uh, so that's why you're getting all. I got the, like three offers the... today, like trying to like just trying to get me to join various like podcast things. Like they'll bump your numbers and stuff. I don't think you understand how this works. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, our numbers are not going up. I got news for you. Uh, I will just say I appreciated one one day randomly seeing 247 new episodes appear in the podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that is one reason we moved over to Podbean was to get get easier access to the full back catalog, uh, and it worked. So <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah. it also screwed up everything I I'd this... already listened to. So I got yeah, everything sorry. back yeah. prior to that. I am Luckily, so sorry it will not that. happen again. At least not for like another <laughs> yeah. like decade or something. Well, thankfully, yeah, one of you now. changed the episode name, so it made it really easy to just filter out what I yes. needed to mark as played. Yeah, that was that was the bulk of the work of moving to Podbean. Actually, was uh, was unifying a a structure. But yes, I spent I, I think it took me uh, a week and a half of uh, working as long as I could stand to each day. Of reformatting all of the episode names and nice. and putting uh, putting uh, episode numbers and the spine number in the title and then the episode number uh, t- 
tied to the episode. It looks well. good. I like anyway. it this way. I spent most of my time making a a new picture that, that yeah. didn't take very long. In the end. Uh, yeah. Well, the one we used. Well, it actually take did take long. me quite a while. It's like, but like, yeah. we don't need to get into that. Because it's watercolors. It's anyway. real watercolors. Yeah. It's not the internet. It's not It's not computers. There's no computer. Well, I scanned it when I was done. <laughs> I didn't. I did not know this. Yeah, it's watercolors. Uh, that's so great. I bought a watercolor set. I, I, had I was no, playing around with. I had no idea that you actually physically did that. Actually, there's been quite uh, a few postcards that were all analog recently because I got tired of making things on the computer. Like, very nice. Quite yeah. a few, except for the last one, the most recent one, which is definitely not analog. Well, you'll you'll see that when you get it. It's pretty clearly not analog. <laughs> but uh, anyway, enough of that. Yes. Thank you, supporters. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Jason, for your support. And thank you for joining us as we talk about Make Way for Tomorrow, 1937, directed by Leo McCary, uh, a movie that bombed when it came out and was almost impossible to find for many years and still is pretty still hard pretty to hard find to find if you don't buy the Criterion DVD. Uh, it is not currently streaming anywhere. Um we had asked uh, also another supporter of ours, Adam Speakerman, had requested to be on this episode, and timing did not work out for him. Uh, I had hoped to get everybody, all four of us, with it. I thought that would be yeah, fun. that would have been It fun. didn't work out. Um, but Adam did send me some pretty extensive notes about what he would have wanted <laughs> to add to the conversation. Uh, so we've and, hired an actor that knows. Yeah. So no, so before you read off Adam's notes, I do have to ask, how far do you get into the notes before the words, thanks, but you gave it to me for the wrong picture, come up? <laughs> I don't know if he actually mentioned that uh, that particular uh, uh, anecdote, but it is a really great one. Um, Leo McCary won an Oscar for, uh, what was it? The Awful Truth. Uh, the Awful Truth. And that came out the same year as this. And he, he won the Oscar and his acceptance speech said, I really appreciate this great award, but you gave it to me for the wrong picture, um, which is phenomenal. Just, yeah, I, I love and, it. And wow. This is not to shit on the awful truth. The awful truth is a fantastic movie. Yeah. But this is, this is something the truly awful, special. The awful truth is like the movie that invented Cary Grant. Uh, and, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Make Way for Tomorrow is is such a phenomenal movie. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of Adam's stuff, uh, he starts off just talking about how hard it was. Uh, he ended up seeing this, uh, <laughs> uh, tracked it down at a video store in L.A. called Eddie Brandt's Saturday Matinee. The only video a... store he should be going to. Let's be clear here. <laughs> That kept like a, a a loner list of uh, rare movies that they recorded off TV. Uh, wow! So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, it was just it was impossible to find and and proved very difficult to find uh, in in a way that that Pat Pat could watch it. Well, I mean, um, the thing, the issue is, is that we talked about this off air last time when we were getting ready for this. I suspect that the only like working, like good copy is the Criterion, like version of it, which is why oh, it's yeah, like probably. completely locked up in copyright, right? Like, presumably, a nineteen thirty seven movie you should just be able to watch, but I bet there is no 
non-criterion cut essentially doesn't even exist probably no, or at least hasn't been digitized in any meaningful way yeah the thing that i find odd about it though is it's not streaming anywhere criterion's done the release why is it not at least on the criterion channel you would think right, right? right it's right. weird i because like again i'm pretty it's yeah i don't know how that all works out it's interesting that you had this trouble though because really up until 2010 when criterion did their first dvd release of it uh, this movie was often held by people like Roger Ebert and, and other critics of the era as a forgotten film, a film right. that wasn't in circulation, wasn't well seen. Now, curiously, like seven months after Criterion's release, straight into the Library of Congress. Right. So oh. clear, clearly helped bring it back to the mainstream. But right, right. I, Indeed. I, I don't know. Like, this should be a prestige picture. You look at how good this is. You look at the drama. You you you. This is something that some asshole in the 70s should have rediscovered. And when I say some asshole, I, I mean Martin Scorsese. Should have right, rediscovered right, right. and brought to the world at large. But it it seems like it just kind of existed in the well, ether was, until 2010. It was too buried even for Scorsese to, to have With borrowed it from machine. the New York Public Library when he was, when he was seven. Yeah. Uh, or whatever every well, background the, the story on every movie that Scorsese <laughs> saved is. Yeah, like the thing about it is though is I wouldn't be. I mean, like based on like what we know, like uh, Scorsese probably had a hand in getting this put into the collection anyway, considering how much of a hand he has in yeah. the collection as a whole. Anyway, it wouldn't terribly surprise me. But I also bet that right, he right. Could, that this probably just wasn't like when he was a kid. Probably wasn't a movie he could have seen anyway. Like I mean, movie was just gone and dead right like just didn't exist right well here's another reason showing here's another reason why it surprises me that this was as hard to find as it was so tokyo monogatari tokyo's story you know widely held as one of the greatest films of all time way up there on the sight and sound list this film was in many ways an inspiration for that usually when you have that level of let's say film snobbery connecting things right. someone's going to bring this up and you're going to get that that sort of well this is great but you know here's what it comes from bringing it into the mainstream and that didn't happen yeah yeah um so so a good chunk of adam's notes are pushing back against the ozu connection <laughs> um giving giving different context to it uh and i i i will share that in a moment but i will also say uh between the 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 Ozu thread uh, and the fact that uh, Orson Welles loved this movie, uh, Jean Renoir loved this cry. movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jean Renoir loved this movie. Um, a lot of a lot of influential people loved this movie to the fact to the point that I I don't understand how it how it disappeared. Um, now the Ozu connection. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just read his paragraph. Okay. Um, a lot of people claim an affinity between Make Way for Tomorrow and Tokyo Story, and you'll immediately feel that. But I think it's pretty well documented subsequently that it's just thematic structural coincidence as Ozu never saw the film. Kogo Noda, the writer of Tokyo Story, saw the Hollywood film, but perhaps more significantly, the earlier Ozu film, Brothers and Sisters of Toda Family, is much more similar to Make Way for Tomorrow, and that screenwriter, Tada Akira, had also seen the Hollywood film. 
so I think given Ozu's penchant for repeating ideas in new ways in later films, the similarities between Make Way for Tomorrow and Brothers and Sisters of the Toto family trickled down to Tokyo Story a decade later, but by now four or five degrees of separation between the films. Uh, probably more important to Ozu and Oda was revisiting was revisiting, revising, and critiquing their own earlier World War II era films to say something truer than they could have said under uh, the American occupation. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, He like says that. that, yeah, he says that particularly to, uh, to push back against uh, uh, a Western centric view that says uh, Ozu stole the idea for Tokyo Story from, from this, which I don't think any none of us would be making that claim anyway right uh inspiration is not theft even if even if it were inspiration directly um but uh he does bring up an an interesting point i i've never seen brothers and sisters of tota family i i i trust adam's uh suggestion that that there are enough similarities there that uh i mean he also he also leaves way for the suggestion that the guy who wrote Brothers and Sisters of the Toto family was actually making a reference to Make Way for Tomorrow. Well, yeah. Right, so, right. Uh, and the what's interesting is is that on um on this movie's Wikipedia page, they make reference to that idea, but like it doesn't even have a citation associated with it or anything like that. It's just sort of a free yeah. floating phrase just in the middle. But on the actual on the Tokyo Story English Wikipedia, it makes reference to it like with some citations. I've never read the book. Uh like Apparently, David Dresser or Desser wrote a something about about this connection. I don't. I'm not gonna. Not, yeah. I don't have any access feel, to read that or anything like that. But um, I feel like I probably, probably, probably based on that bit of the Wikipedia for Tokyo Story, I think we probably mentioned it during our Tokyo Story it episode. But be by that, yeah. at at that time, the mention would have been. Oh, by the way, we've never seen this movie either. But Make Way for Tomorrow uh, supposedly has some sort of connection to this. Um, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if that's verbatim what we I said. I wouldn't be surprised but, uh, if you said, "And we'll see this in five years." <laughs> right, right. And we'll I see mean, this in five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly enough, it's on both the English and the Japanese Wikipedia page. I mean, presumably the same citation. I haven't checked, but I don't know. It's... Yeah, I mean, my my understanding of it was always not, you know, this was a remake or anything like that. It was quite literally the writer had seen this. Talked right, to those who right. about it, recant, recalled it, and they built their own story. Right. I mean, it's right. significantly different. Like the actual final, like the way the story, like oh, the yeah. sort of starting point is similar, but then after that, it brand, it, it goes in such a different direction that it. Yeah, might as well yeah. Really it, it, it's not. really just the theme of of the older generation being a bit of a burden on the faster lives of the young. That's right. That's right. about the connection. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it is no doubt. The differences are reflective of of their different directors too. Different directors, uh, different times, different yeah. yeah. Every everything's different, right? Like you know, different culture. Every McCarry, everything's different, right? Yeah, McCary does this with a deft hand, certainly. But a lot of a lot of his work was slapstick comedies. Uh, he's uh, <laughs> no, he directed Duck Soup. Uh, he uh, he's the guy who got Laurel and Hardy together. Um, he's got a background in movies very different <laughs> to this. Right, right, uh, right. Um, though, you know, he also does, uh, stuff that, you know, certainly after this, he does stuff that is not screwball 
slapstick comedy. Um, and he directed Love Affair and and the remake of Love Affair, An Affair to Remember in 57. Um, we will see in the, in the far distant future, we will watch The Awful Truth and Love Affair. So Criterion, we're not a one and done with, with Leo Macari. Well, that's good. Uh, but we're also, there's not also not a, a, a Lauren Hardy box set to look oh, forward to either. So yeah, um, <laughs> I think we'll live without it, but, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I was really impressed with this movie. It is, uh, as, uh, as Orson Welles said, could make a stone cry. It is an incredibly depressing movie <laughs> and I love it. I love how depressing it is. Uh, it's actually one more thing on the Ozu connection. Uh, and I think, I think this comes up in the, the tag Gallagher essay, um, for the Criterion release is, is what brings it to mind. Um, but there's some conversations in this that are shot in a very Ozu way of, of, uh, complete one eighties between, between two talking people with, with them addressing the camera more directly. Right. That we, right. We've talked about in Ozu movies with, with Adam, actually, I think the last one he was on, we talked about particularly, uh, but, but yeah, just, the fact that that is not a normal way to do those things. So, the, and Ozu was obviously already doing it. Uh, so it's not no, absolutely no, no implication that Ozu like stole that idea from this movie. Well, yeah, I mean, because uh, he'd yeah. been doing it. He'd been doing it for a decade before this, anyway. I think, but, uh, uh, but yeah, just just odd that you know we get the story about the two movies connect, connecting, and then they are they are the two directors you can point to as examples of this style of shooting one-on-one conversations. Uh, it's just interesting, but I don't know where to start with this. It's just, so I mean, go ahead. I'm going to start by saying something a little different than I think you guys are going to say, because this was your first time watching it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, this is my second time watching it, and I'll be honest, after I watched it the first time, I was fairly certain this was a movie I was never going to watch again in my life, um, because it was so painful to watch. It was so right, sad, right, right. and, you know, being someone in their 30s, dealing with older parents, loss of, of, of a grandparent and everything, it just, it, it hits you so hard. But Absolutely. now watching it again for this... I actually came away from the film feeling slightly more cheery and uplifted than I thought I was going to, because knowing how sad it is and how it's going to turn out, I'm able to appreciate that third act where the couple are just enjoying themselves in the city so much more and really get it. You really get a sense of how they are giving it their all, knowing that, you know, secretly knowing inside they're not going to see each other ever again. Just making this for them and and relishing in that. And it's so much more uplifting than the sadness this time. Yeah. Uh, from, from very early on in the movie, uh, a lot of my notes a lot around Ma and Pa are the fact that they are very clearly in love and... Uh, 
<laughs> I don't know. There's a lot in this movie about how they just want to fuck. Uh, <laughs> there's, 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 there's a lot of, a lot of energy like that. Uh, you know, the, the, the letter she sends him that the store keep, the store owner won't read to Paul. Um, it's like best, best to fix your glasses before you get to that one. And, you know, just the entire final sequence, obviously they are enjoying one another's company and basking in it. Um, and yeah, just a lot of it. And obviously it's the tragedy. I feel like the movie wants me to think that Ma is actually annoying to the family she's staying with. I had, I think I had too much sympathy for her from the beginning. Right. I mean, the question becomes, I guess come becomes, have you ever lived with your grandmother extensively? And I, and I actually have. And so like, I it is very familiar to me. Like yeah, I, this happened multiple times growing up, um, and you know I was a little bit older, but I was old. I was actually not that far off the I off the age of um of the uh, daughter in this, and it was it. I get it. I mean, I get it. Like living with like, you know, it can be living with your grandparents or with with your your parents can be really tough. Um. And I don't think she's supposed to come off as annoying. I think you're just supposed to like be familiar with this as a as a right. You know, what I mean, you're supposed to recognize yourself in, either one side or the other of this in it. Yeah, I, yeah. I I think they're annoying, but they're annoying in the way of being a kid and having your parent kind of oh, in yeah. your sphere when you want you know a bit of, a bit of that space to right. yourself and your own life and your own control. Um, and the way that they are annoying is very classic. You know, you have a dotting old grandmother. You have a stubborn old grandfather who doesn't want to deal with a doctor because he's always been hardy enough. I mean, they're yeah. they're they're very classic archetypes of just an older person. Not good, not bad. Just you know, right. different time, different era. And yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to recognize your grandparents in them, right? Like you're just supposed to be able to see them in there right when you watch the movie um well i I think the film does a good job as well of of displaying this because if you look at their children as sort of your baseline then you're you're getting the experience of the grandparents affecting their lives but also you've got the younger generation now with rhoda and how she interplays in with her parents and in with her her grandparents and you see a generational difference there as well. Right. And you can also see Rhoda going through something similar to what the, these kids are going through with their parents, with her parents. Right. Like you can see like where this all sort of comes from. Right. Like you can see multiple generations of the same thing essentially happening. Right. Like yeah. Rhoda feels about her yeah. mother, the way, <laughs> the way that the, the mother feels about her, her uh, mother-in-law. Right. Like it's, it's that sort of like, can you just like kind of like butt out of my business, right? Like, yeah, but Rhoda's Rhoda's parents deserve to be treated that way. So, well, the the thing is, you see Rhoda start to bond more with her grandmother than her own parents, yeah. and that is a thing that happens right. a lot oh, in yeah. real Absolutely. life. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, she's apparently a wild child. We never quite find out what happens with the disappearance and. The keeping yeah. the name out of the papers, but you know, right, 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 right. It, it's again, it's it's that huge generational divide and how that interplays. Which is, I mean, not yeah. not to like derail, but what I I was like, I was when I watched, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a seven year old woman. What's going on here? 
Uh, and it is fascinating. <laughs> that that whole I know it's like not the plot of the movie, but it is fascinating to me that um that uh what's uh forget her name now uh uh Balua Bondi is forty yes. is I wrote it down is forty eight. Faye Bainter yeah. Bainter is forty four. Yes. Yep. They are yes. the two women like who who are like essentially the stars of this movie are four years apart. One is playing a seventy year old. It is it is interesting because to a certain extent, like um Victor Moore is closer in age to what he's playing. You know, he's supposed to be playing a seventy year old and he's in his sixties. He's he's still playing it up, but but uh Blue Bondi has to like play it up like a lot. She has to act very old and that's kind of I think uh, a sort of yeah. Well, she she made a she, she made a, a good job. I'm not saying she didn't do a good job. It's just interesting that they cast somebody so phenomenally younger than what was. It's not like she has to do an age jump or anything. They just like, nah, we don't need a we don't need an older woman. We can just get this this 48 year old to play a 70 year old. It's fine. I mean, she out. certainly her... did end up being the right woman for the job with the performance she, that she delivered. Yeah, she did a good job. Right, right, right. One of her first stage. Uh, performances and she got her start on the stage was was playing uh an elderly woman right uh yeah and she she made a career of playing ancient <laughs> ancient women um she's she's uh she's ma bailey in uh yeah it's a wonderful life she's the she's the grandma on the waltons was her final career. right right i mean um, bear in mind as she does that she also that actually time, starts actually aging old, up right course. that's the interesting right. thing is that like but what she plays, she ages into what she plays as time goes on, right? But she becomes famous for playing an older person, what, becomes renowned for playing an older person at a very, a very young, well, I mean, like, very young age, right? Like, for, for playing 70, right? It's just interesting that that's, that's, that's sort of, we're, we're essentially watching, it's just an interesting additional layer to what's going on here because uh, the movie's about the, about, in many ways, about, the elderly but like doesn't actually feature any elderly people uh it's just yeah, a fascinating yeah. thing right like uh to think about right like they're not well we didn't hire any elderly actors to do this movie about the elderly well yeah, it seems she had a i'm sorry she had she had a, a cottage career of playing uh jimmy stewart's mom in frank capra movies <laughs> she was also <laughs> she was also ma smith and mr smith goes to washington fantastic uh, in yeah um, anyway, um, Jason, I, I was just going to say an interesting thing as well about casting against type, uh, and maybe that's not the correct words to use here, um, but let's consider the fact that we have a movie from 1937 where the black housemaid isn't a caricature and is treated like a regular everyday human being who just has a job, and the Jewish store merchant is just the sweetest old guy oh, yeah. that you'd love to have yeah. a paper with, and also isn't a caricature which you know 1937 that's that was still a caricature yeah. that was very much acceptable to do that's pre-war that's uh honestly even before you get like aggressively offensive depictions of shylock and things like that it's just it's nice to see people cast as just regular human beings who are filling a specific type right right it really works out now of course the the maids name is still mammy which is a little problematic but uh yeah but this ain't right, gone with the wind i guess right, it's really right, my right, point right, there. Right, right. i mean yeah if you're yes. putting it against relative like relative to the other films of its era it looks good by comparison in general um, 
Right. She's certainly treated sort of stuff. Well, treated better within the context of this movie. Well, it's kind of um, the old adage. Everything we're doing today, no matter how progressive we think it is, will essentially be seen as stupid and backwards right, right, by right, a future right. generation. So, yeah, I, no, by no means is that perfect, but against its contemporaries, you know, we're upper echelon ahead of uh, ahead of the game. Louise Beavers is her name, by the way. Um, and, yeah, I mean, she played a lot of similar roles that I'm sure were more often than not more demeaning than this one. Well, wow, she was in a lot of movies. Uh, Holy cow. And, oh, yeah. And let's not forget as well, she also stood up for her workers' rights to a degree by saying, I used yeah. to have my evenings off and I'm going to have to seek employment somewhere right. else. Right, right, right. She's, yeah, she's phenomenal. And and that works, right? Yeah. At, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she she demands... <laughs> She demands to be treated well, and and it wins out. Well, this, and of this course, movie you know, has she... interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, she does in the end, right? It's not she doesn't exactly win, but like she makes her demands known, and like it affects the behavior of the family, like in the end, right? Like they don't right. just ignore those it entirely, right? It's also fascinating that like the politics of the movie are kind of interesting anyway, because like it's definitely a like it is definitely a, the. the the bank fucked us over movie right like it is yeah it is very much that that sort of movie right like uh and i you love to see it right like you just you just love to see a like you know fuck the bank movie like, yeah it's always good. I, I, the, I i love by the way when they're at the cafe at, or the hotel and he's talking with the the new manager and he's like you know well this is how it worked out i got his girl he got my house Yes. Right. At a least thing that, like, that, that he brings up multiple times, right? Like, Pa has, like, decided to, like, reassure himself and they're like, I, I yeah. won in the end here. Like, yeah. you got the house. Right, you got the, right, the short right. end of the stick on this one. Yeah. Uh, and he's, I don't know. The one, the one, the one way it does kind of pull a punch is that he does, he does frame the bank taking their house as some sort of personal vendetta. But <laughs> right, right. I mean, like it is. I mean, it's not the it's not the perfect fuck the bank movie. Okay, like they, those exist. Right, right. We've seen some of them. Uh, we haven't seen all of yeah. them. It it is it is gentle to the bank on a relative like to the to that sort of system on a on in overall. But like it also it sort of frames it as a personal vendetta, but it also sort of frames it as like a like you kind of get that you kind of get that though, right? Like it's a power dynamic too, right? And like. The bank manager is like kind of enjoying the fact that like he gets to take the house from his like his old nemesis, right? Like that's yeah. that's not it's personal like feelings are not gone in this shitty system. They just are added on as a layer on top of the already shitty system, right? Like the bank manager well, can I... be both a shitty like a bad person and an asshole. Like you know what I mean? It can be multiple things at the same time, right? Well, it's the bank um... can be bad and the bank manager can be bad. It's interesting as well, the timing of this film, because and we, we debated before we started recording here who was going to be the biggest arguer for Social Security and the importance of uh, right. state benefits. And this is very much a film that conveys the importance of Social Security coming, what, I think two years after the program was initially founded? I It's very close. Um, U.S. Social Security's... Um... Yeah, I'd have to look it up. I don't know exactly when it started. Because it, I mean, it's a New exactly, Deal program. Right. Yes. And exactly where 
I'm I'm fuzzy on the uh, on 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 when the new deal when different aspects ah, of the new here, deal. Here we go. Social Security what Act is... of 1935, August 14th, 1935. Well, there we go. So yeah, that would have been happening while this was being uh, written and filmed. Right, right, and the novel would have come out in the the political lead up too. Yep. Social Security being right, being, uh, right, and the novel is probably the thing, right? Like the the novel is probably in the end, the, like in that sense, is the more important uh, element of this, right? Like the novel is probably literally to a certain extent like a pro Social Security propaganda type tool, right? Whereas this is a like, hey, isn't this thing we got now great? Like, isn't it like, yeah, sort of sort of vibe, right? Like it's like, um, you know it. Because they do talk a lot about being out on the street, right? They they, they talk about like th- there's there the crux of the movie is this idea that like you that like they have people to turn to who are struggling but can help them, but like they're moments away from being out on the street, right? Like they just are. Well, and it also uh, conveys the you're too old to work, but right, you need to work yeah. to live conundrum because. Here's the thing that I find fascinating about that is he he's essentially forced out of work. He's not able to find jobs. He's a bookkeeper. He's not a laborer. He needs glasses, and he could literally do that job until the day he dies. But right. just he's too old, and therefore nobody wants him. So capitalism and society say, on the street you go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and they make reference last... multiple times that, like, the family has been essentially sort of living hand-to-mouth for a really long time. Like, you get... The movie also references the idea that, like, he's had a stable job his whole life, presumably, but it's never been enough to, like, actually make any progress, right? Like, it, it, it sort of, like, has that extra feature in there that, like, not just, like, what you do after you can no longer work, but also, like... There is this sort of it makes references to the idea that like you can work your entire life and never actually like build up enough to yep. to be able to protect yourself no matter how hard you work right like he's a bookkeeper it's a, a relatively like high level job and everything and he's still like nope like did we're not able to they mentions like something always came up right like there's always another bill that comes up something comes up that you have to buy that keeps you from being able to like save up money right and like. That he sees that retirement sign. It's like, God, fuck. Sign, that's the closest the movie gets to be like, ah, oh, fuck off. Like, yeah. Now it, it is interesting. Uh, it's interesting because they don't actually touch on it in the film. But if you look at the timing of the book and you look at the timing of the movie, this is very much depression era or coming out of depression right. era as well. Right, right, right. So yeah, it, it's and, not like a surprise that he has a house that he's still paying a mortgage on in his seventies. He right. probably needed to remortgage it just to. You know, right. keep the bills paid to help support his his. Uh, He's got five kids. Yeah, right. So. I mean, well, that, his five, I mean, his five kids saying, are in their forties, like, but you still pay out. Well, that's what I'm saying right. is is that the movie. Uh, I mean, because the movie's operating in the context it was created in, right? Everybody is aware of why this is happening. The entire audience is watching this and going, "Yeah, like we know all the things that happen to make them be in this situation, right?" And that that they don't need to name it because it's 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 a universal truth, right? For all the people and everyone watching, everything like that. They know why he doesn't, he's got to give up his house. He knows what, they know what's happened. These, frankly, as far as the movie's concerned, he weathered a huge portion of the the depression fairly successfully. It's actually 
quite impressive, right? Like he had enough like you can see that like he was almost ma- like they don't know that he almost made it, right? Because like, you know, we where like <laughs> they can't see the future when they make this movie, but like we know that like it, you know, as far as the movie's concerned, the movie sort of exists in a universe that predates things like Social Security Act and stuff like that. Like it's it's it exists in a world that like maybe five years earlier, right? Um, and and stuff like that, and and talks about everybody knows the situation, and like the bills just keep coming, right? And and that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think. I think the movie also serves to sort of capture elements of the culture of the time that didn't need to be commented on in the movie. Right. Right. right? Um, so I think it's interesting that Mon Pa had five kids who would have come of age, uh, you know, as World War One was ending. Yeah. Um, <laughs> lived through the 20s. Uh, and, you know, they're now halfway through the depression when this movie comes out. And this movie obviously is for as, as sad as this movie is, is still escapism of not, uh, right. Not showing direct aspects of the depression, uh, except for their own predicament here. That is not blamed on larger depression problems. Um, but then it is interesting that Mon Pa have five kids and all of them seem to be married. And only one of them has children. Right. <laughs> well, so that, and that's what's uh, interesting. I was going to comment on this. The di- the sort of socio like economic and like uh, like um, family dynamics of the movie are a bit odd. Like not just because they don't match with the time. Like from a demographic perspective, like these kids yeah. are the kids are like like it doesn't detract from the movie. Let's be very clear here. But like I was like, wait a minute, like neo local like living was not that common in uh like this this time period like you know it was common but it was like out of five kids somebody would probably still be living with mom and dad it is yeah kind of wild that they're not so i was like oh i'm gonna go look up some statistics right i was gonna go figure it out and like the percentage of families living with grown adult parents or someone like that had not changed didn't start changing until after World War Two. Like it just didn't. The numbers were stable across the board, like all the way through the Depression, everything, right? Yeah. So like the fact that there are five kids, all who moved away, is a bit odd. Like it's sort of a, it's sort of one of the sort of fantastical elements of the movie that m- to make the story work, they all have to be gone, whereas it's not all that likely. Which is actually one of the things that makes Tokyo Story to me a little bit, for me personally, is a more interesting movie because it play it's still playing with those dynamics like somebody does live with mom and dad it happens to be the daughter-in-law instead of like one of the actual children but like it it, 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 it you know they could still have these problems without actually having every child have moved out but it's still they do have them all be in different very disparate places they're all living in their own own homes separately which is kind of a little oddball it's not like a lot oddball but it's a little oddball you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. Two of them have ended up living middle class lifestyles in urban New York. Right. Um, the younger brother, I don't think we ever see his home. 
No, uh, I don't think we do. It, it's but, sort of it's sort of acknowledged yeah. that he's like not useful in this context. Yeah, yeah, and the, we uh, don't really see anything of the California sibling. Right, 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 right. But the fact that they have a sibling who seems to Mon Pa live in the East at the very least, wherever wherever everyone is. Um, so the fact that one of, I mean, during the Depression, somebody's moved to California is not that surprising. Uh, that they seem to be doing well enough in California to actually bring anyone with them is maybe surprising. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, the daughter that Pa goes to stay with is, I don't know, still still living pretty small town, seems like. Well, we don't, we um, don't know, right? Like, Paul's going to California. We don't know jack about california well right? no 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 the who we actually see him oh right 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 uh, yeah we don't yeah that's the that's yeah paul's kind of decontextualized right like where like the mall goes to a place that we can like identify whereas paul goes right. to like america <laughs> mr Rubin's store could be anywhere well yeah, like literally like, it could be with, anywhere within within a few, in 37 within a within a few uh yeah i think parameters I think they specifically say within a lot of 300 miles right yeah, it's 300 miles, which yeah. actually, like, leads us to a really age, like, you can start doing the math. You're like, wait, where, where would that be? Like, where the, the is 300 miles seaboard, from you? basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Up northeast or uh, or the uh, Great Lakes coast of New York or, or Pennsylvania. That's uh, I was kind of leaning mentally towards Pennsylvania, miles, personally, just because, like, the yeah. dynamic is, it. you know, it's hard to say, though. Um, yeah. Um, but in any case, you know. That's they've got one daughter who's really far flung, which you know they they comment in movie, uh, has been pretty incommunicado with them right. for a while too. Uh, yeah, which is I I mean another dynamic of families at the time is the kid who went to California, uh, either because they did really well or more than likely because they did not do very well. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe would be incommunicado. Yeah. Uh, for lack of being able to communicate. Well, let's not forget what long distance cost in those days. Right, 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 right. right. I mean, it's going to yeah. be letters. Their communication would have to basically be letters. Like, the, the phone call would have been prohibitively expensive. Like, yeah. you would have done it, like, maybe yeah. at Christmas time or something, like, once a year or something, if you could afford that, right? Right. Well, um, if, if you recall, fact, uh, when when Pa calls Ma and she asks how much it costs, she's, she says, you could have bought a nice scarf for that much. Right, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. Their phone conversations are delightful too. Uh, yeah, all of, all of Mom and Pa's interactions I love, um, just one hundred percent. And uh, you know, I I just lost my last grandparent, uh, and I see a lot of aspects of my grandparents, um, all four of my grandparents in these, but also uh, a lot that weren't. Um, my my grandma particularly does not. My grandma who just passed does not remind me of Ma in this movie. No, I don't. I yeah, uh, I didn't. I had a Ma s grandma, but like imagine less nice. Um, yeah, so. yeah. My my grandmother had had a uh, had a gift for not being able to turn off passive aggression <laughs> sarcasm. Uh, that. Uh, yeah. Well, and like I mean, Ma does do a thing. I we're all I, I'm personally very familiar with, and I assume you, Adam, are very familiar with that. Like, no, no, I'll be fine. It's no, you yes, go out yes, and have fun. I'll be fine. It's I mean, I mean, she yeah. she does it to a phenomenal degree in the in deciding that 
to to tell right, George right. herself that well, she will go to the right. The yes, home. Yeah, totally. Like, and like she's trying. Like, and that's the thing, right? It's hard to cross, like judge that line, right? Is it passive aggressive, or are you just trying to be nice and save your child from from a heartache that you know you can help them with, right? Uh, fascinatingly enough, I like the observation that the movie makes about the way he reacts to her telling him he's going to move. Where he goes back into the room, he's like, yeah, who's the man? I handled <laughs> yes. that situation, and Ma did everything for him. She gave it to yeah. him on a silver platter, and he's so proud of himself. It's hilarious. So I, I would be remiss at this point not to bring in the single greatest thing I hate about the older generation, and I get really annoyed with one of my in-laws for that, and it's the indecisive non-committal i don't want to be any botherness that kind right. of got yes. them in this place in the first place because they bring right. all the children out to tell them that they were given six months to move out of their house and it's like oh we've got lots of time to we can put something together for you it's like when, when is the six months up tuesday, tuesday. yeah no it's it, great it's that the wanting intro, to be i was hopeful like i was and not be a burden and it just makes you a bigger burden Right, it, it's really fascinating because like Absolutely. I don't know about you guys, but like you could see it coming from a bajillion miles away, right? Like you mm-hmm. could just see the train rolling into the station. You're like, oh man, like yeah, they blew the entire. They could have like, and you and you in your mind, you go through what the kids are going through. You're like, they could like this could have all been arranged. It could have all been figured out by now. Like pathways could have been made, and they're even like we could have scraped together to get you a little place, and instead now we're scrambling because you didn't like you know. Well, you, and like, I don't want to be a bother. It's directly replay, related to the sort of like, um, the sort of like uh, the self reliance mythos, right? Like, Paul never wants to admit that he can't he can't work anymore, that he's not right. a useful contributor anymore. Like, of course he could be, right? Like, we understand as as yeah. viewers that like, there's nothing stopping Paul from actually being a contributing, you know, like financially contributing, other than just like ageism and and the fucked up system and everything like that stopping him but like at the same time he also decided you know that paul in the end was like it's almost certainly a paul decision to be like oh like no 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 i'm not going to admit to my children that i can't provide anymore right well you see that right up until the end when they're walking around new york he goes into the store and says i just need to buy it's clearly for the help wanted side oh yeah he comes out you know they just didn't have it in my size right 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 yeah yeah how he's still subtly trying to trying to find that work and make it work and then also not admit that he's still looking right he can't admit like you know we see like an archetype of american masculinity like painted in paul right like that we're all familiar with and it, it's still hurting him right up to the end of the movie, right? Like, he it's it's still affecting him all the way through, right? Like, he just... And the only time he really softens in that capacity, really, is when he's dealing with Maul and, and, like, you can see sort of a more legitimate, sincere tenderness, like, come through and stuff, right? Like, um, Yeah, once they get drunk. And yeah, well, I mean, yes, well, yeah, yeah, they do have to get <laughs> drunk, too. But, like, you know, they he... he it, there no, is... He's, they're being tender before they get the yeah, it's a, They also way. argue, which is, you know, like, hey, yeah. Like, mom and Paul are going to argue, right? I think it's very interesting towards the end as well how everyone comes to the realization that the children are horrible. Yeah. right. Like you, you've got the old yeah. couple wondering where they went wrong. And still that, that parents, you know, they're good kids. It's just where where's their thing. And then you get George with the kids saying, we're not going to the train station. Because we're horrible, essentially. Yes, yes. Right. 
yeah, George George at least realizes they made a terrible mistake. Um, yeah, well, they, yeah, they are then, as much responsible for the situation at the end as the parents are. Because the parents screwed up by not dealing with the house right. in time. But one of the daughter's husbands doesn't want them in and isn't willing to fight for them. One of them has done a lot more than the others to take people in. But still, it's being a problem for his daughter's well-being. Um, the other one talks the doctor into saying California would be better to get Pa off her right, plate. Right. Like, yeah. they are... They're being selfish, somewhat understandably, somewhat not, but they're they're contributing to this ultimate separation of their parents just as much as anyone else by the end of the film. Right, which is which is fascinating to me because, honestly speaking, the some the the final result of the movie feels like nutso to me. Like, if I'm being totally honest, I could never conceive of an idea of like. With barring medical emergency, the idea of like separating your parents as though they just don't have a relationship that's meaningful or worthwhile, right? Like, and oh, yeah. I didn't, and when I did deal with my family, that was never an option that was ever put on the table, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, of course, their relationship has like primacy in like our decision making, like, and the idea right. that it doesn't here is. It, it it ends up painting the children as even worse than they could be painted as, right? It's not about where are we going to put both of these people. It's where are we going to, like, put... We're now, like, moving them around like chess pieces on a board. Like, we've got to, like, separate them out. Like, this one's going to go over here. This one's going to go over here. That's... I have to admit that when we're when watching the movie, that, that part did bother me on a level that, that did sort of take me out of the movie just because, like, that... That's that's a wild idea to me. Just like what now again, medical emergency or whatever, right? Like you know, like yeah. okay, somebody's gonna have to be in a in a care facility and one person can't be in the care facility. But like to just do it because you just don't care about their feelings and relationship makes the children seem more cold and callous than even like normal people are. Yeah, <laughs> Does I, that makes sense. It, it's tricky because with the one daughter who wants him gone to California, at least they sort of legitimately don't have room for him because uh, he is sleeping on a couch. It, it, it's tricky. Right. Like, from my own my own family, we've never really tried to break up anyone when they're of that certain age. But I know, um, not in my grandparents' generation, but in my great-grandparents' generation, that did happen sometimes simply mm. because everybody was poor. There literally wasn't right. enough money or housing space to go around. But that was right. also an era I mean, where the families were close enough together. It's like you're going to go live with with this child, you're right? Gonna they go can live see with each this other, child, right? But you're ten miles apart. I mean, if I'm being brutally honest about what would have happened in a family that I'm familiar with, is that daughter would have been sleeping in the living room. I mean, yeah. right? And mo- grand- mom and pa would have ended up in the kids' room, like in her room, like tough shit. Like that's life. Grandma and grandpa are important <laughs> and don't get the yep, and don't yep. and don't get the, and so it's and i understand that things like this did happen it just to me it was the most sort of alien thing that happens in the movie and it and it's a hallmark of the movie and it doesn't ruin the movie it just makes it be like what are they doing like what's happening here why are we doing this to, to grandma and grandpa what's wrong with us well and even like the initial gambit of we're just going to separate you for three months while we sort something out doesn't seem that absurd to me because right. that, that is just a logistics accept. thing. Yeah. But right. when it's, right. uh, yeah, we're never going to solve this problem. We've just given up. That that 
that exactly yeah i agree i agree but like also when they say it's only going to be three months we all know what's going to happen right like the right the writing's all over the wall day one they're never going to live together again like like they make it clear by making like an actual scene of it when nelly talks to her husband but like there's a I don't know the movie has a vibe to it you feel it like when they're talking about it, like this is only temporary is never temporary right well I I get the feeling that George and, and I think Cora is the other daughter might actually believe that this is only going to be for three believe months it. yes but Nellie with how that conversation with her husband went she had to know there was no hope in this from the beginning right and so that's right, sort of like right, the, right. The, and so really when we come down to it Nellie's the villain of this movie and it's the bank <laughs> and Nellie and that's right down to it well uh, let, let's give Nellie's husband some credit here too yeah. well Nelly, right, Nelly's right. husband is Nellie's husband is imagine so like if we're on a sort of GI Joe's type hierarchy or something like that there could be sub villains and then and then the main villain I see okay. Nellie's husband is sort of is your sort of like you know, is a little bit higher up on the scale, but they're both villains. Yeah, Nelly's just the dragon. Well, N- N- uh, Nelly's husband is the, we can't take care of your parents. By the way, we're going out to a show with my mother. Like that's, right, and that's different that's somehow. That's billionaire level ignorance of reality. Right, right. Yeah, I, was, I mean, like, yeah, we, we, we do understand as an audience that Nelly's husband is a piece of shit. Like, straight yeah. up. Like, and they do a great job of telling us in very few lines how much of a piece of shit Nellie's husband is. And that's, I mean, you know, it's bad on Nellie to not, like, just admit it outright, like, this is never going to work because I can't force him to let them, like, live with us or something like that. But, like, in the end, he is, you know, she should have just, just told them. I mean, she didn't, yeah. she's trying to avoid conflict, right, like, with her siblings. Um, so, yeah, interesting I, side yeah. note to this that I, I mentioned to you guys before the show. Uh, this This movie is of particular particularly timely relevance for me right now because i'm actually going through uh some of this my father-in-law moved in with me at the start of the month because he's in his 50s he's unemployable and his landlord sold the townhouse he was renting out from under him and the housing market right now is utterly and like we were looking for housing in this area a three bedroom listed for 1800 had maybe like 600 square feet like it's it's ridiculous jeez so i i can sympathize uh, actually quite a bit with the kids oh, yeah. in terms of what the burden yeah. and what this is like and what the extra financial stress is and the lack of room but i'm still fucking right. doing it i'm still paying right right, right. I, right. I am, you make it I'm work i'm still on a single income supporting my wife my child and now part of my father-in-law like it, it's you find a way to make it work if you have to make right, it work. Right, exactly. And and right. that's why and this that that's why this movie does to a certain extent feel a little. It, it's a good movie that gets across its point very well, and it, I like it quite a bit. It just does also feel like, man, your kids are actually functionally really terrible. <laughs> like they really don't right, care about right. you. Uh, and that's yeah, like and, shocking, and particularly almost. for the era it came out of, that feels even more shocking right, to me. Right, right, right. Um, well, because as you said, the, the we, you know, I the mean, legitimately, if child, we, yeah, you know, like adult legitimately, child statistically, <laughs> like one of them would have been living with them and probably, yeah, manning the house, and like they would have had their own job, and like that person probably would have been under a lot of financial strain to pay for the entire house mortgage on their own, you know, salary or whatever. But it would have been what's happening, probably. For being yeah, I feel honest. it feels a little hard for us to judge that just because 
statistics aside, the context of the era, we don't really have. I think that's right. That right. Fair. Yeah. No, and the I film, does, as we, we said, does not go out of its way to make any of that clear to us. It definitely seems out of place to us now, but I don't know how that would have played in 1937. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, we'll never know as far as like how yeah, other people like people of the era moving viewing the movie would have reacted or thought about that. It just to me it was it you know, just from like my own studies, that is neolocalism is like a relatively new phenomenon in in America and in society in general and in America too. Uh, it's like, wait, five children and none of them are living with you? What what kind of what did you do wrong as a parent? Because <laughs> we literally watched a movie not that long ago from the same era where parents were like being shuffled around but they were already living together with their child right and is is a is later on than this and feels a little old-fashioned by that point but represents a thing that was common at the time right like it it, it, um because that movie would have that was not even a movie that was a tv made for tv movie so it was decades later and and would have been a little antiquated at that time considering the demographic shift in that uh, but like was kind of referencing an older time when that was more common. Yeah, the ironic thing of you bringing this all up now when I think the rates of children living with their parents has gone through the roof compared it's to gone previous back up. generations. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It, it, it's well, but that's the thing, right? Full that, circle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it it is it is a thing that's interesting because we 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 purposely as a society killed a thing that was very very common and then now the 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 capital structure has created the environment where it's impossible to not do that anymore right like it's just yeah. uh yeah it's it's yeah it is a there is a fucking flat circle here and it's not a good one <laughs> it's a real bad one yeah well well in bringing up you you know you've you've made suggestive reference to marty um yeah there there's definitely a class difference between marty and yeah no. and our families here right um and you know, Ma, Ma and Pa aren't presented as really well off in that they have lost the house, but bookkeepers. No, I know. I mean, my my grandfather job. was a bookkeeper, but like it also sort yeah. of depends on where you're working and who you're working for, right? To a right, certain extent, right. my grandfather was a bookkeeper after he stopped working in the coal mine. He wasn't paid a lot. Uh, there's you know, but like what I mean, what I mean to say is that like yes, it was enough clearly to maintain a house that was like decently appointed like there was there was stuff in that house like they had a mantelpiece yeah. with like shit on it you know what i mean like right. it wasn't but it was also, also the generated. 1930s you did have a right. lot more shit like that in the house right and that, some of that, that stuff was might have been handed down three generations yeah. right yeah absolutely right right generations and so it's hard to of, judge of inheritance there uh just yeah. what i what i mean is like in and what i was kind of referencing earlier when i was talking about well they've weathered some of the depression without being like they weren't evicted like day one right like they weren't they weren't like market crash and then like oh shit it's all gone we're doomed like they did weather it for right. a while which probably implies that they were not the they probably had neighbors that were evicted like immediately right in in this sort of fictional universe uh um who lost everything very very quickly because uh, their job went under or whatever. Like clearly, he was able to have a job for a while during the depression. Um, it's just in- well, it's, it's just interesting. We don't know, right? It's interesting you say that because I hadn't thought about the fact that he's been off work for four years at the start of the film. Oh, has he? Is that, do they say that? Yeah, yeah. They, oh, right. They yeah. Talk yeah, about so, him yeah. being off for four years. So they've actually been weathering. Yeah, they burned through a lot of savings. Of the they had a lot of money. Yeah. 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 
that's interesting. I I had missed that part uh, when we were, when watching the movie. So that that's fascinating. Like that means that like they, so it's even sort of more understandable that the honestly, if we're being like clear, it's more understandable that the kids had no idea, right? Because they made it four years. Like the kids have probably been struggling with the 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 era they're living in too, right? And like mom and pa never mentioned that like oh by the way like we've burned through everything we have over the past four years like mom and pa never brought it up like it's been four yeah. years since like the you know since this all got started and apparently they're fine um because i was also kind of thinking at the beginning of the movie i was like what, like what kind of i understand that mom and pa are hiding it but also like you don't have any notion that like mom and pa might be in trouble well, apparently, Mom and Pop maybe had some savings hanging around and some money hanging around, or at least yeah, assets absolutely. they could sell for money, right? Like uh, you know, things that they could have uh, gotten rid of to to keep afloat. Well, and they do talk about never having money to buy a fancy car, but it always being something they were saving up for. So they're clearly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they're well off, but they've they've been working within a budget they were able to maintain while the kids were right. growing up. They right. probably were With able to children. start putting savings after the kids moved out, and then that just got burned right. through. Right. And again, the parent, the the kids have landed in a lifestyle. The fact that they have all landed in this middle class lifestyle suggests that they come from this middle class right. lifestyle. Well, right. yeah. The only person we don't know is is the the um, is the California, the California daughter. daughter. We have no idea anything yeah. about her. Everybody else, yes, we're we're fairly certain are are in the middle class. They're not like. They're, they are struggling, too. Like, it's very clear that, like, they're not, like, maybe, they're not, like, it's obvious, the movie ma- tries to make it clear that, like, obviously the New York family, the one that uh, Ma goes to live with, is the, sort of, is doing pretty well. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's an apartment in New York City, and I understand that, like, rent prices aren't what they are now, but, like, they are still, with like, the yeah, but it's, they're doing okay, right? But but Anita has started teaching bridge in order right. to maintain they are that lifestyle. doing things right. to make ends meet right they like and they do reference like it takes a lot of money to keep this apartment right uh, and yeah. plan to try to send their daughter to college and and stuff like that I mean obviously Nellie's family has the most disposable income like her husband is wealthy yeah like period yeah uh, well they and, won't and admit it you know the asshole. business is always doing poor but right, right. yeah right. well yeah right. yeah right. like yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know, uh, oh goodness, what's the other daughter? The 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 daughter who who Pa goes to stay with. Oh, um, they're Addie not doing like exactly. Yeah. Oh no, Pa goes to stay with. Yeah, even, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was thinking the yeah. California daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't even have a spare room for yeah. him. Right. 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 They have so. the yeah. They have the one room. And that's it. Yeah. They're. Well, and you, you get the sense from the general store in the town that they're in as well that it's not, you know. Right, uh, right, right. They're, they're probably not rural, but they're probably, you know, a small township. Right. Yeah. And and to a certain extent, I think the movie goes out of its way to make things ambiguous so that you're not, like, getting caught up too much in the details. And most for the most part, it works, except for, you know, if you start thinking about it too much, you start like, oh, no, the House of Cards is a little odd and wobbly like it probably like for casual viewership it's it's all fine right like you're just watching and you're like okay like so and so doesn't have a lot of money so and so doesn't have a lot of, it, you know you can just and especially if you're familiar with the era and like 
at the, you're living in the era. I mean, um, nah, it's fine, right? It's fine. Remember, you know, but it's just under scrutiny. It starts to get a little weird because we start picking it apart, and it's a little. But like, it doesn't make the movie bad. It just makes it like somebody wrote what felt right rather than like, yeah. the, rather than like world building <laughs> for their for their depression era, like a uh, uh, you know sad movie. Yeah, I'd I'd almost forgotten about it, but I I think that daughter, the one that uh, Pa is staying with, her husband is probably the nicest one of the bunch of of kids yeah, and their partners because yeah. he's yeah. the one who actually wants to send for Ma. He's yeah, he's, but he's also he's what? also out of work, right? Isn't he? Isn't uh, that textual? Uh, I forget now. I would, too many I'm pretty children. sure it is. I I, I don't recall if he's out of work or not, but he's th- like they're certainly. Oh yeah, I know well. he is. Yeah, yeah, okay. he is. Because they make reference to it in um, in the scene where the, at the beginning of the movie where they're talking right. about who can take him. And it's like, I know he's out of work, but like he's still looking for work. Right. She makes reference to how hard the labor market is. Um, but he still yeah. wanted to, to try and do what was right. Right, right. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he's to the me, one who, like, uh, he's the one who recognizes their humanity. As right, he recognizes <laughs> like, that this is like depressing yeah. as fuck and like we should not be doing this like. Paul yeah, he misses treats them Ma, like, like people. Yeah. Everyone else treats them like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it is. It is. And so what? the only thing I kind of come away from the movie, the only sort of like complaint I have as a as a sort of, from a purely like, the sort of like what the movie's trying to say, is to a certain extent it comes off as, it can come off as a, the young people are selfish and don't care about the elderly as a, as a theme when i think the a more that is obviously that's true but like it it, it fails I, to recognize it fails to deal with any sort of the systemic stuff that results in in this problem that right. much and i and i think we're we're viewing that from a very uh i don't think we're taking it within its uh socioeconomic context i think because we've got, you know, we've talked about, you know, they're they're trying to live this middle class lifestyle, all the kids, seemingly. But uh, the background assumptions of an audience seeing this movie, uh, yeah, they're li- maybe trying to hold on to a comfort level that they shouldn't be trying to hold on right. to, given where their parents are. But everybody is struggling at this point. Right, right. right? And I understand. I, I you, you know, I, I. It's hard to view, like, we can never, like, put ourselves into the frame that the uh, person viewing this movie in 1937 would be able to. Uh, the only reason I comment on it is that, like, it, it is, even, and, and I'm sure that the audience would understand that. You just sort of get, like, when you try to think about what the sort of, like, takeaway of the movie is. Like, a good one is, like, oh, like, the system's fucking broken. We need to, like, take care, find a way to take care of people, Right. And that's a good takeaway from the movie. It's just not the only takeaway you could walk away from the movie with. It go, you could also awake, take away with it and be like, ah, yeah, your kids are ungrateful shits who will not take care of you when you yeah. get old. Well, so you I, better have Social Security. I, but, I feel like you can mix the two together. Yeah, and I that being so. Your kids might be ungrateful shits, or you might literally just be too much of a burden for them. So this right. should never be something that's put on their plate to begin with. Right, right, right. right. I agree. There you go. Yeah, but I think that but that's obviously like a really like solid amalgamation of the. Of, it's it's just one of those things where like the movie, you could if you're if you're minded to, if you're of a mind to ignore the 
social issues. You could just walk yeah. over there and be like, ah, fuck the kids. They suck. Right. And they do suck. Bear in mind. They have reasons, but they also do kind of suck. Everybody has their reasons. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, what you go into this film with is your social preconceptions are definitely going right. to flavor what you take away right. from it. Um, right, right, right. Which I find fascinating for myself being a fairly well-off man who's a landowner whose takeaway from this film is tax me more and abolish privatized <laughs> land holdings. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, in the end, right, like, there, in the end, if we if we just take time, like, we go back, the real answer is, like, what the fuck are you doing, like, taking away their, these people's house? Like, what the fuck is yeah. this? Why are you trying to make money off of running a bank? Like, that does, none well, of this makes any it, sense. Like, it why speaks is it, like, to the fundamental yeah. problem of human happiness, which is you can only be happy if you have security. Right. And you yeah. don't have security in this system, and you don't have security in this situation. It's as true here as it is in Bicycle Thieves or any other film that tackles this subject. Right. We just need to learn it as a society and embrace the fact that, you know, work is not the answer. We have more than enough. Let's let's give right. people that security and quality of life that everyone is right. entitled to. Yeah. Yeah. Um to that point, uh, I think it, it is valid given the timing, uh, but it's interesting that this movie does not didactically at all ever mention Social Security. Um, right. I mean, I think I think in the end, like it, it, it is to the movie's benefit. Right. Because if you if you brought it up, you would end up like it would get it would be even it would be so bold faced. It would be almost like. Un, like unmanageable as a movie, right? You're like, oh, no. like, and bear in mind that things like Social Security was a band aid, right? It, 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 it right. was and is this day a band aid to cover over the contradictions inherent in the system that that produce these problems, right? You like, you build band aids because you don't want to like tear the system apart, right? And like, Social Security has gotten worse over time for obvious reasons, but like, it was still only a band aid that like could only do so much right like mom and pa could definitely still end up in basically this situation with social security well it just would be a little less worse <laughs> the interesting thing there is that you're right it's a band-aid it's supposed to be a step in the right direction the problem is that you haven't taken the second step after it right right, right. and instead we've got within the u.s context at least uh you know 30, 40 years now of tiny steps backwards. Right. Well, and bear in uh, mind, every, Social Security. Every chance that can happen. Social Security and all those those social, like, welfare things borderline almost didn't happen. They required yeah. an immense amount of, like, <laughs> political finagling and, and, yeah. and a lot of pretty shady shit to happen, honestly. Like, it, like they yeah. were a miracle in and of themselves. And then, like, of course, they've been walked back about as far as you can walk them back since then, right? Like. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, legitimately, the New Deal is probably the most impressive thing that the U.S. legislature has ever done that hasn't involved a war. Right. Yeah. Right. Or just yeah, Yeah. or just handing out money to random rich people. Right. Like yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're very good at that, Um, but it's not. They're so good at it. It's not. It's not impressive anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, At some point, it becomes so common that you're just like, well, same with the war, though, right? Like, and they're actually just the same thing anyway, right? Those two things are just different, like versions of the same thing, right? You do both of them very well. Uh, uh, if you were ever going to like maybe make a proper seal for the United States uh, government, it would be something akin to how good we are Just at handing, handing, money, to rich handing money to an already rich person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
yeah. I think there might be some state um, flags that kind of look like that anyway, but it's fine. <laughs> Probably. Uh, we'll just, we'll, we'll put the eagle, uh, and it'll still have the arrows in one claw. It'll just have a wad of cash in the other claw, and it'll all work yeah. out. I just figured you'd take the seal and just put the Monopoly man in the middle of it. That would work. Oh, yeah, that yeah, would yeah. work. I mean, we definitely need to give give the eagle a monocle, too. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, an, eagle with a, a, an eagle with a top hat and a monocle is maybe the best version of any American seal you could come Actually, up Actually, I, I like that. Top hat, monocle, a cane in one oh, yeah. claw, a yeah. wad of cash in the other. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Pocket watch strap I, into its breast. I, I feel, though, that honestly, if we're being completely honest with it, if it's going to be a truly honest seal of the United States, it needs to be one of those illustrations from, uh, like, sort of Marxist illustrations where there's just it's just literally standing on a pile of poor people that are holding it up. I don't know oh, how yeah. that's exactly the word. Maybe there's a palaquin involved. To be on fire. So. Actually, if you want it to be a really true seal of the United States, it should have a price tag fixed to it. Right, right, right. <laughs> Well, it'll do that sort of men in black thing. It'll zoom out and it'll be in the pocket of a rich person. And, you know, it'll like, we'll just keep pulling back and it'll just be layers and layers. And it's it's turtles all the way down, but instead it's just rich people. Uh, I think technology has reached a point where that could be. The, the, the seal, seal could be like some sort of like one of those holograms. See, like as as yeah, you like yeah. rotate, as you walk around the seal in the Capitol, it just sort of like keeps zooming out. Uh, I like it. Um, Depending on which angle you're looking the, at it. The well. next postcard. No, I'm just Impossible. I can't. We have to pay $450 per postcard to get this manufactured. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth it, guys. It's worth it. Uh, we can't afford that right now, Pat. I'm sorry. Um, but good luck. I'll, I'll, I'll bookmark it for 10 years from now. Like We'll just continuously save cash so that we can do this one off. And then we go bankrupt and it's over. That seems like a yeah. a Web ten thing at least. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, yeah. Who knows? While we skipped Web four, I don't think we're to we're to that point yet. So, uh, yeah, guys, it's a sad movie. It is a yeah. sad movie, but it's I don't know. I feel like Pawn Ma's relationship is is somewhat invigorating in the end. I mean, Obviously, very very really, sad yeah. in the very end. Right. But that last day together, it's interesting that this movie, um, I don't know if it is making an argument for Social Security and the uh, the there is a community aspect to social security of, of strangers taking care of one another. Right. And it's obviously it's through the mechanisms of government. So it's not directly looking like that, but the fact that all of the strangers, Ma and Pa meet in New York are so much kinder to them. Yes, yeah. Than yeah. yeah. Their family. yeah. Even the guy who only interacts with them because he's trying to sell them a car. When he finds out he's not going to be able to sell Just them a car. Ends up chauffeuring them around. Like, yeah. Well, that was, I mean, it was nice to spend the afternoon with you. Yeah, so. he really enjoyed their chat. And, and that's, I yeah. hadn't thought about that point, but you're right. Every single person they yeah. meet, with the exception of that boy who just got glimpsed in the car when the daughter was getting out, is a wonderful yes. person. Um, that old Jewish man is just the sweetest of, of local guys, the, you know, the, the kind of people that old men bond with. And yeah. he's so wonderfully honest, and he's he genuinely loves Pa. He's he's treating him with respect and dignity. His wife, when he he says, "I just wanted to go and look at you," when he calls his wife, yeah, just the most touching thing. And when he tries to interact he's... with the family, 
you know, he gets treated like an outcast, you know. Right. How yeah. do I know this soup is good? How like And I I, yeah, I and of course that's I kind that's of her feeling threatened. Right, too. Yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, she's like she's she's threatened. Of course there's like there's this tiny little bit of me that's like wait a minute, is this like is this like a is this like even weirder? Like is this even grosser? Is this like bigotry? It just comes down to her being threatened, but like by the Yeah, she the, specifically yeah, the, says people will think I don't feed him. Right. Yeah, I, right. I, yeah. It's just I had a I had a visceral gut reaction to it initially, and then I was sort of like tried to like let myself like be like no, the movie's about their familial relationship and nothing else really, or at least yeah. it's supposed to be. Um, but if you want to extrapolate that out to the the concept of strangers helping other people and the way that we are trying to to get things to progress as a society these days, you do have kind of that bunch of random people with no relation who are doing wonders to help each other out which you can be analogous to a gofundme or to just general community programs and then you have the people who are actually supposed to be taking care of you analogous to the government saying no fuck off you people you're making us look bad right right Right. yeah uh yeah Uh, (laughs) everything's terrible uh (sighs) yeah but hey maybe if we try and make it better. I uh, I do love Ruben's uh, introduction, though. Uh, Max Ruben's introduction, uh, talking to the other uh, customer in the store about. Uh, oh yes. Not not trust. Yeah <laughs> yes. Well, well, I trust you. If I can trust you for weekly, I can trust you for monthly. So I'll I'll put you down for weekly. Is <laughs> uh, is a very good line. There's a lot of great comedy in this movie. Yeah, it does. It, uh, it's interesting that way. Like they they try to like. It's very, very clearly like they had to like somebody thought mm, this could get real depressing if we don't make it a little bit like comedic and lively, right? Like we have to have some. Yeah. It's definitely in there, right? Like there's comedy right from the beginning, and it, and it continues throughout. It's just sort of like little things that just sort of, I guess, keep it from getting to be overwhelming. Levity is important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you know, also. The American audience did not really connect with this movie when it came out. So. Right. I mean, that's also true. Like, who knows? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I guess it didn't work. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. But who it, knows it what? Like, I mean, it's also like, you know, there's also I, I've read about like you, you, when you go back and look at like film history and stuff like that, there's oftentimes talk about like there were waves within the depression of like people don't want to hear about the depression in their movie. Like, you know what I mean? Kind of it came yeah. and it came and went where it's like, oh, we don't actually want to watch this. Well, Give yeah. Do you, do you want to watch a reminder? Movie. You're going to be out of house and home, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is it wasn't like universal throughout the entire depression, right? It came and went multiple waves of like, yeah. oh, we actually want things that deal with our lives, and then like, oh, well, actually, we're a little tired of dealing with our lives. Could you please show us something ridiculous that has nothing to do with it? And then back and forth, back and forth. Also, you know, right. movies are expensive; they're a luxury. Right. Um, and, right. I mean, we're not we're not at the one dollar admission Gone with the Wind level yet at this point, but still, it's a lot of money you're in sad times do you want to go to be miserably depressed and right, think about right. life or do you want to go watch Cary Grant be catty with his wife as they learn the awful truth that they still love each other clearly America right. chose the latter America's made uh, a lot of bad choices um, and we're keeping on hey, it, it is it's all part of the, the United States seal <laughs> at least our, our new one yeah that the, we're, the, we're putting yeah. 
I mean, I, honestly speaking, picking an eagle with arrows feels like a like a tell anyway. I mean, he's facing away from the arrows normally. I guess so. Whatever. Still got him. He doesn't look when he fires them. I don't know. One other sort of, I guess, stray note here. Uh, I'm sure a lot of it was makeup, especially given that Mula Bondi was was not nearly this old. <laughs> yes, was 48 uh, years old. Yes. Yeah, but uh, I felt I felt that the entire family looked like a family. They looked like they could be related. Um, the the boys had similar. Yes, like, I agree. The boys yeah, especially yeah, to, really to worked dad. well. Yeah, um, and they look like they could have been brothers. Um, I think the sisters look like they could have been sisters. I'm not so sure that the the, the brothers and sisters look like they no, could have been they, brothers and like, sisters. What I think but, they went for was more of a more of a classic thing of like, oh, the daughter looks like mom, and the boys right, look right, like right, 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 like yeah. yeah. But they did pull that off really. Yeah, well. Yeah, no, I agree. So. I, spe- I really do think, especially in the boys, the boys just look like three brothers. It's just really like you know, or, yeah. Three? Yeah. Two. I'm losing track. Two. Two. I'm losing Two track of how many children there are. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Happens in my life all the time, but, too. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I love that Leo McCary believed in this movie. Uh, you know, even beyond the the Oscars exception speech that you gave me, the <laughs> you gave me the award for the wrong film. Uh, you know, it seems, it seems like this was his favorite of his movies, right. even moving forward. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that the fact that it bombed at the box office did not negatively affect his view of what is a phenomenal film. Right. Well, and it, so. it's taken almost 100 years, but he's been proved right. Yeah. I, people do love it. Not just people love it. I, I think genuinely most people who actually look at his career are going to walk away with this is the best thing that he ever made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, duck soup's pretty good. I won't. I won't deny that. But. I okay. Caveat: I will give you that duck soup is pretty good, but dramas always trump comedy when it comes to prestige lists of the best things right, people right, ever right, did. Right. That's even though they shouldn't. Yes. That's just how things work right now. Right. Ah. Uh, well. Um, I suppose it's a movie that offers us a parental reminder of always. Uh, Always doing better. Uh, <laughs> things were bad then, and we're in a we're in pretty dire straits financially. As, uh, as as Jason has mentioned, the housing market in his his area of the world it is yeah it's not great <laughs> where I live either. <laughs> so, uh, and I, yeah. I'd like to and add, I live in a small I, I have, town. So as it's as it really has gotten bad more in a small town with no right, major right. employer but a cannabis shop right, gets right. this expensive. <laughs> Great. Well, I hope that the cannabis shop is at least uh, employing a lot of people. I guess uh, in, in these times of need, they are. So, they they are. They yeah. actually replaced a Hershey uh, Hershey chocolate factory that was here for many many years. And <laughs> w- when they pulled out, here's the thing oh, that fascinates me: when the Hershey plant pulled out about ten-ish, fifteen years ago, things got so bad in this town that you couldn't get a mortgage for a house because the bank didn't have any oh, faith wow. that that house was yeah. going to go up in value. And those are in houses that were around 80000 Yeah, I bought my house a year and a half ago for three forty, dollars This year, yeah. those houses are going for closer to oh, four fifty. Sure. Like it, it, It's insane. It's insane yeah. how, how 
small right. towns have just gone from being a dump that was kind of affordable or unaffordable well, because no one wanted it to uh, this is exploitative and the people here are probably not going to be able to to afford to to just live here right yep hmm. ah man Columbus uh, has is very excited that Intel has agreed to build a chip plant outside of Columbus. So, <laughs> so Columbus is very thankful to have a business that will pay no tax revenue to the city of Columbus. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, and we're going to have to. Uh, well, I mean, we don't we don't actually. Have That's the job of. The, let's be clear here. That's the job of the workers to pay their taxes. <laughs> They've got to give up some of their pay. I mean, Columbus's solution. I mean, their big investment here is that they're going to, you know, build all the highways that go toward that, you know, are going to have extra lanes and all of the houses are going to get more expensive in Columbus than they already have. So uh, great times. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the annoying curse of gentrification in that making houses nicer and more livable should be seen as a good thing. You just right. can't then price everybody out of the fucking neighborhood. With right, it. right, 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 right. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's generally how it happens. Yeah. Ah, man. Well, thank you, Jason, for joining us. Uh, delight to, pleasure. Delight to have much. you. Um, great movie for it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this is such a very good movie. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Dillinger is Dead. A weird little... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> weird little Italian film uh, I guess kind of avant-garde Italian film from 1969 directed by Marco Ferreri uh, it is our only Ferreri film uh, and I'm very interested, we've already watched it and, and just because we've already watched it I'm very interested in Ferreri's career because this is a, a fantastically weird movie um, so yeah, look forward to talking about that with Pat, but just with Pat Jason, you're not coming back to record yes. that episode last week with us so uh no <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> but I, I will be back at some point spine 594 yes. isn't that far away and that's godzilla and believe me i'll be back for there that. we go we gotta i gotta have you on for the godzilla yeah i've said it on the recording now it has to be true i can edit that out but <laughs> yes uh absolutely uh, thank you so much jason for joining us and Always thank you pleasure, for guys. listening everyone to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Otardorga, and we'll see you next time. Bye.